0: Nick Vince here. This week's guest on The Chattering Hour has racked up an impressive list of genre titles, but he's going to be best remembered for his portrayal as Victor Pascal in one of the best Stephen King adaptations, Pet Sematary. This 1989 horror classic directed by the great Mary Lambert was an instant hit. And in his over 45-year career, Greenquist has racked up credits on stage screen tv and as a director up next on the chattering hour brad greenquist and we're back with our special guest brad greenquist apart from his role in the pet cemetery Annabelle, Creation, Lost Souls, and The Cursed are other genre titles, and he's also appeared in Call of the Wild, Water for Elephants, Lone Ranger, and Ali. Brad, thank you very much indeed for joining me today. Thank you, thank you for having me, Nick. Thank you so much. That's my pleasure. Right, so I'd like to start by taking you right back to the very beginning. Do you come that was a from a
1: long, long, long time ago? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if my memory goes back that far. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, we'll see. We can, I know, these things are always a little bit of a challenge as far as I'm concerned. Um what uh, do you come from an acting family?
1: Not at all. Not at all. Um my father was a military man. He was in the US Army for like 26 years. Um my mother was a housekeeper. My and they, I gr- I grew up in Virginia for the most part, and uh, but all of their people came from Minnesota, and and bef- you know their parents they were all farmers during the Depression. You can imagine how well that worked out. Um, mm. At least there was always food, and they I come from a long line of peasants basically, um, uh, and nobody nobody did anything as kooky as the arts in in my. Family, my extended family. Nobody, nobody did anything like that.
0: Right, right. So, what kind of kicked off your interest then? Um,
1: well, that's a that's a that's great. Um, here's what happened. It, it, I can pinpoint it actually. Um, uh, my, my, the the household I grew up in was uh, very quiet and orderly and and routine. You know, which is great for children, quite frankly. You know, there was no chaos. There was Mm no, no, um, everything was nice, even keel. Yeah. And, uh, one night when I was a kid, um, a friend of my father's from the army came over for dinner. Right. And he was this big rotund man with this big handlebar mustache, right? Oh, an eccentric guy just walked in. And uh, and after dinner, they were all playing cards. And I was just sitting nearby because this guy had this big laugh. And he told these stories. And he started going off on how, how much he enjoyed going to see these horror movies at the movie theater. And how much he enjoyed that as a kid, seeing Frankenstein and, and Dracula and being so scared. And I was like, oh, oh. That's what I want. I, I want to break out of this even keel thing. And I want, I want my blood to pump. And so suddenly I was like an insane fan of, you know, all of those, those universal gothic horror films that they showed on Saturday afternoons and, uh, and Friday nights, you know. Right. And that's, that changed my life. That, the visit from that guy changed everything for me. Uh, now, look, I brought a picture. I brought a picture. So what I would do is um uh, here <clears throat> in uh, or there in in Virginia, outside of washington, d c, on Friday nights, there was this mm-hmm. um, horror show that was on. They'd show a movie like Frankenstein or Dracula or Werewolf of London, you know, any of those. Uh, and it had a host. His name was Sir Graves Gastly, uh, and his actual name was Lawson Deming. And he only worked out of he worked out of Detroit. And we got his his show in Washington D.C. So one day he came. Now look at this. So that's me when I was ten years old.
0: Can you see that? I can.
1: Yes, and that is Sir Graves Gastly. And that, like, I, I every every Friday night I would watch his show. He was very campy, very very campy. You can catch pieces of his his intros on uh, YouTube. Um, but that was it, man. That was it. I was like. So that's that's what I, I I wanted to be in horror movies. I wanted to make horror movies. You know, I was obsessed. And then then that was in nineteen late sixties, early seventies. Then in uh, seventy two, I switched. I suddenly switched when Charlie Chaplin came over to get his honorary Oscar. I saw the Gold Rush on TV, and I was like, boom, okay, silent comedies. That's the thing. Not a huge market for that for the future. <laughs> <laughs> so I I like grew up with these two opposing things, you know, Boris Karloff and Charlie Chaplin. <laughs> so a- that's kind of what got the ball rolling. Right,
0: probably. right, right. You, you kind of remind me because I mean, we were in the lucky position over here when as I was growing up. Saturday morning, we never had the horror movie stuff. That came much mm-hmm. later in the teens. But in the Saturday mornings we used to have Charlie Chaplin and Laurel and Hardy was screened on Saturday mornings for kids. And you know, this was before we had cartoons and so you know, that's what we got to see. Like I understand you kind of right. So I'm gonna try and take this in order. So back in the nineteen seventies, you were doing street mime in Georgetown. Is that yeah, right? yeah. That
1: that that was a little bit later, you right. know. I was so enamored of um of all those silent comedians, you know, uh, uh, Chaplin and Buster Keaton and Harold Lloyd and Mabel Normand and all of the Mack Senate stuff. And I, I would like, on school nights I would, uh, we had a television in the basement of our house and I would go to bed at my appointed time. And then I would get up at one in the morning and turn on TV and watch some late movie that was showing until three in the morning and then go back to bed. And my mother couldn't figure out why I always looked so tired. (laughs) 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 Um, So, so that, that led to, then, then what happened was um, I went to see Marcel Marceau perform the mime. Uh And uh, I got the, the, the most the best ho- the best seat i could get was was in the top balcony in the last row you know <laughs> and he so he was like this big <laughs> but i i saw him at the kennedy center in washington dc so it was a big theater and for 2 hours one man with no words no props no cast held 3000 people in the palm of his hand and I walked out just shaking and I thought, maybe, maybe that's something I could do. Cause I didn't know how to do anything. I, I was like supremely incompetent. at right. Everything. Right. Um, and I thought, Oh, that, so I started training in mine. Uh, that was my first performance training. And uh, then I found somebody who became a friend and we did this and he was more experienced than I was. And so, uh, in 1977, we went to Georgetown in Washington, D.C., and and did this street mime in kind of a courtyard. And we passed the hat, and people loved us. I was shocked. I was absolutely shocked. People loved us, and uh, and and I I saved a dollar. I said so we split up the hat, and I just took one dollar from there, and I said this will be important. It's my first dollar. My first professional, that first time I've made money performing, I'm going to keep it. And I put it in a book and forgot all about it. And years later, when my kids were small, one of them pulled this book off the bookshelf, a Marcel Marceau book, it opened up and there was that dollar bill. And I knew exactly, oh my God, I saved it.
0: So that's that story. Wow, (laughs) wow, wow. (laughs) That's (laughs) really kooky, right? Yeah, oh no, I, I love that idea. I can't. I remember when I first got a check, you know my first uh, trying to remember to yeah, I should really hold on to my first ever pay slip for a, a proper real acting job when I got my yeah you know, union card did and you, so did on. did
1: you do it did you save it no.
0: <laughs> no, just rubbish of that kind of thing. I mean, I hoard stuff ridiculously, but I managed to lose that entirely,
1: um, <laughs> yeah, you know when I found that dollar, when it flipped out of that book, I took it and i I brought it to an, an art place and had it framed. It's in a frame and it's on my wall now. Right, you know, because not- looking at it, then every so often I look at it and it just tells me, keep going, yeah. keep going. Because you know yeah. how it is when you're older. It's like, oh, do I, do I still want to audition? Do I still want? Do I do I want to do this job where I need the money? But I. I'm really not interested, you know? And it Mm -hmm. looks at me and it says, keep going. It's like that 17-year-old kid saying, come on, man. (laughs) (laughs) That's
0: that's yeah, that's really beautiful. I like that idea because I think we all need as professionals. Particularly at the moment, I think, you know, so everybody's just like, what the hell am I going to do to actually put food on the table at the moment? And it's just like trying to return to what it is you actually want to do. Yes,
1: our, our whole identity has been taken away from us. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, yeah that yeah. entertainment thing, that's what we do. And without a crowd or camera or, you know, there's, there's that's who we are. So mm. who are we in a pandemic? I don't know. Yes. Yeah. I'm asking you, Nick. I'm asking you. Please give me an answer.
0: <laughs> if I think of one by the end of the show, I'll let you know. <laughs> but I think but I think being reminded of the dollar as to why you started out is really, you know, why did I start out? What was this? Urge yes. to communicate that we all have. Um we have yeah. as human beings, but I think as actors and performers particularly, we just have this, and artists of any kind, we have this urge to communicate, and it's just that beast that has to be fed so often.
1: That's that's a nice way of putting it. The way I see it is more like uh that night was like my first shot of whiskey, and I'm an alcoholic, and I cannot <laughs> I mean, you know, every time, every time. You know, I'm, I, oh, do you want to do a play? I I say, no, I'm not going to do any more plays. They're too time consuming, never get anything out of them. Do you want to do a play? Yes, yes, please. It's like an alcoholic who hasn't had a drink in three hours,
0: you know. (laughs) Suddenly, I've got this image in my mind of actors anonymous. Um, We need need this support group just to, (laughs) yeah, just to keep the phrase. Anyway, coming back to your career. Um funny you talked about uh doing mime and being interested in Charlie Chaplin and so on. But you did go on to make a black and white silent comedy called yes, Run yes. for Your Love. Run yes. for Your
1: Love, yes. Yes. I made this, uh I just gathered my friends after I had, I guess it was after I graduated from high school, probably the summer that I'd graduated. And uh we'd, you know, drive 30 minutes out to this this park on the Potomac River and we shot this uh, thirty-minute black-and-white um, chase comedy. It's a chase comedy, you know, slapstick and intentionally made silent with title cards and everything, you know, like a Buster Keaton sort of film with a lot of right. a lot of stunts that I did myself, hanging off of cliffs where you can see the river beneath me and and running here and there and making these big leaps and and all of that and uh and then you know spent a good amount of time editing it together and putting music together for it. And uh, and then we entered it into, or I entered it into a, um, a Super 8 film festival. Film festivals were not huge in the 70s. There were some, but it wasn't what it is today. And uh, we won first place. We won, you know, best film in competition and uh, and the best acting award as well. So I won as a producer and as an as an actor, but not as a director, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's that's still awards. I yeah, think, yeah, you yeah, know. yeah, yeah, yeah. Still, and still. You runs know, looking it. back on it, it's like, oh yeah, it's it's fun. Parts of it are kind of like amazing, and parts of it are like, eee, eh, kind of kind of silly. <laughs> but I, I've I've had it all um, digitized, and I'm going to. Uh, you know put a new soundtrack with it and kind of uh you know put it all together again you know one of these days when i have some time
0: oh that that sounds really fun yeah kind of
1: fun yes kind of fun and kind of like cringeworthy too because i'd be like yeah that was that was some terrible acting man
0: Yeah, looking back at yourself, that yeah, from that kind of distance, yeah, I don't yeah, judge yeah. yourself too harshly. Don't judge yourself too harshly. <laughs> but it was
1: harshly. great to you know to win a film festival. I oh mean, yeah, that, you know yeah. there were I don't know thirty or forty films in the in competition, so we beat all of them. You know, that's yeah. not bad.
0: Well, really well done. But you then went on to do Mutants in Paradise. Was that <laughs> your first paid? <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: that right, that was kind of a student film. Right. Uh, kind of it was well it was a bunch of students from uh, the University of uh, Virginia in Charlottesville Virginia that were making it and um, and they I don't know how I guess I auditioned when I was in Richmond that was the year I I finished uh, getting my my BFA degree from Virginia Commonwealth University which was in Richmond and I guess I auditioned for it and they cast me in the lead and it's kind of a slapstick sci-fi comedy, student comedy, very much, you know, that college student sort of uh, 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 feel to it, you know. Um, And that was fun. It was fun to do. Spent a summer shooting that. Um, and, And then it took, that was in it uh, must have been 83 that we shot right. it, and it took several years for it to eventually come out on a video. Yeah. You know, um, it, yeah. But, you know, it's a good, you know, you look back on it, and it's like, okay, good training, good training ground, you know? Right,
0: right, 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 right. But you then went, I mean, I think your first, if I got this right, your first real proper horror film was The Chair in 1988. Is that right?
1: Yes, I shot that in... In 86, the, the uh, first I shot a movie called The Bedroom Window, which right. is a thriller uh, directed by Curtis Hansen. And it was before anybody knew who he was. Right. And that really put me on the map. Got a bunch more work, even though nobody knew who I was. And one of them was this movie, The Chair, uh, directed by this this crazy Polish director, Waldemir Korzynowski. Right, he was like kooky, but I found that that most Polish directors are kooky. <laughs> I worked with uh, Janusz Kaminski too as a director. I've worked with him on three three projects, and one of them was Lost Souls, which he directed, which was also a horror movie. Uh, and he's he was just as kooky as as the guy who directed the Chair.
0: <laughs> right, 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 right.
1: <laughs> you know, he's Spielberg's um, uh, uh, DP. Yeah. Um, so but anyway uh the chair yeah yeah yeah, that was that was wacky that was very it was a good cast everybody was very nice but we were shooting the whole thing in an abandoned prison in newark new jersey and it was very cold and damp uh that's what i remember most right (laughs) yeah uncomfortable yeah uh uh, doing the scenes it was good it was like you know it was kooky just very yeah
0: right and then and then i think probably within a year or so of that then then you did pet cemetery is that right
1: yeah the fo- following year or no two years later in 88 we shot pet cemetery um uh and and the the, the funny thing about pet cemetery first of all it's um it's amazing that uh pet cemetery uh, like has this other life now you know mm. i mean it's like a zombie it's come back from the dead <laughs> not that it ever was dead and buried um but you know it's more popular now than i th- i think it was when it was released you oh, know
0: interesting
1: yeah yeah um so yeah that that story uh the i had this amazing agent back then in new york and he he was just so aggressive and in a nice funny kind of way you know he would just charm people uh, into seeing people. So uh, when that was being cast, they didn't want to see me at first. They didn't want to see me, and they wanted to see another client of my agents. And my agent said, "Well, okay, I'll tell you what. If you if you want to see this other client, you also have to see Brad." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wow. And, uh, and, uh, you know, he called me with this, uh, said, OK, it's a it's a, a film of Pet Cemetery, because the novel was huge. Of course, you know, everybody was talking about a, novel, a film of Pet Cemetery, And I was like, uh, oh, horror movie. And he said. He said, Brad, this is big. Don't don't pull out on this. This is big. Just go. Right. And I found out later that he had gone to all these um lengths to get me uh to get me seen you know and i went in and but the thing was just before that i was auditioning for brian de palma one of his films right and i had to run from that to this pet cemetery thing and then after that i was a reader for mike nichols he was casting biloxi blues or something like that and so Okay, I got this horror movie. I just squeeze it in between. didn't really prepare much. I read the script, but like you know, there's not like a scene scene for actors. It's like, oh, okay, I don't know what to do with this. So I just went in and I just kind of like riffed. I just riffed, and the the assistant casting director was putting me on tape, and she was like, "Oh, that was great." And I was like, really? <laughs> um, and then uh, I guess when when Mary Lambert, the director, saw uh, she had seen me in the bedroom window and she was like, oh my God, we got to have that guy. We got to have him. We got to have him. Um, and so I, then I, for the, I went in for a callback, but it was just to meet with her and talk with her. And we just got along so well. Uh, and then, then I didn't hear anything for like two weeks, you know, and I checked with my agent and I said, uh, What's happening with the pet cemetery thing? Because by now I really wanted it, you know, because mm. I'd gone in and I'd gotten all this positive reinforcement, you know. Um, uh, I mean, you and I—we could audition for a, a children's show that we have no interest in doing. But if somebody says, "Hey, you're good," you suddenly really want it, you know, <laughs> right?
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I get that. <laughs> um, I get that.
1: So, so, uh, so then you know nothing. I didn't hear anything. I asked my agent, he said, Oh, Oh yeah. They, they, they want you. We're negotiating. Okay. So another week went by and he, he closed the deal. He, he like, they, they made this offer and he said, Nope, Nope. We're not going to take that. And I was like, are you crazy? Are you crazy? I need this. I'm, I'm broke. I need, I need to work. And he said, yeah, but you we can get you more money. Okay. So, uh, so he closed the deal Uh, on a Friday night around nine o'clock while he was playing poker. (laughs) He had a Friday night poker game and he never missed his poker game. And he negotiated the deal while he was playing that game, which like he tripled my rate and uh, you know, and got me this and that and this and that. I mean, it was like brilliant because I think because he was playing poker (laughs)
0: And this is why actors need managers and agents, folks. It's because we, we're we just rubbish. It's like, you like me? You like me? You're going to no. give me some money? Okay, I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll yeah. do it. Or
1: even if, you know, no, no, you have to pay. You have to pay and you're going to tour to elementary schools and entertain three-year-olds. But you're good. And you go like, I'm good? Yes, you're great. Oh, okay, I'll do it. I'll do it. What does it cost me?
0: <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> just like just that, <laughs> visions of might have doing school yeah yeah <laughs> Oh, so no that situation yeah <laughs> what you talked about your the Pet cemetery was huge at the time had you read the book already or did, were you no, a fan of
1: Stephen King at the time i was into the russian 19th century russian novelists okay. you know and i was i was like you know i was like this 20 year old guy who had his nose up in the air cuz he was reading these really big thick books you know um and as a matter of fact when i was doing pet cemetery i was reading the brothers karamazov which is not a small book you know so many of my my hours in that makeup chair was like reading the brothers karamazov you know it was like 800 pages <laughs> and i did not get through it <laughs> Right and then, I mean, I finished it after the movie, but I didn't finish it during those
0: makeup hours. <laughs> wow! 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 I mean, of course, you mentioned Mary Lambert. You yes. know, one of the few female directors working at the time. What was yeah. that experience like?
1: Oh well, we we just hit it off. You know, uh, it was really really nice. Um, uh, she would, you know, she, she didn't have to direct me too much. She'd tell me, oh, just tone it down a little, tone it down. Cause I was, you know, I was kind of, you know, the 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 role Victor Pascal at the time was it was kind of the the all of those, okay, all of those Stephen King films at that time had this campy thing to them, mm-hmm. right? They were really scary and and horrific and all of that, but there was also this camp in them that you don't get in horror movies now. That's been excised. And Victor Pascal, that character was like that was the bit of levity and bit of campiness in the film, you know. Um, and uh, and so that's I was trying to to you know do this balancing act of being campy and yet also deadly serious, you know it was a tricky one mm. the tricky one. I don't know. I think if I were to play the role today, I would do a better job at 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 balancing those two things you, you know what I mean um, uh so anyway, sometimes she would tell me to oh just 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 knock it down a little bit, do a little bit less, you know, and this was a good good um thing to learn mm-hmm. on, you know early in one's career when to play it up and when to do less mostly yeah. do less you know um and but, but there wasn't a whole lot of direction she gave me she was just like yes hang from that tree <laughs> and say your line yeah that's can you hang there for another 2 hours or so while we set up the shot? <laughs> yeah. uh i had always hoped that um that we could work again together again sometime, but that hasn't happened. But I've seen her, you know, on mm. odd occasions because uh, Denise Crosby, she's she's still very much in contact with Mary, and so there've been certain functions that we've been at together, and it's always right. great to see her. It's always terrific,
0: you know. Yeah, because uh, I mean, you had an extraordinary cast. I mean, you had Denise, who you've just mentioned. There's Dale Midkiff, yeah. and of course, Fred Gwynn. Yeah. 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 But, like, you, you know
1: uh, Fred Fred was uh I don't know some well like 10 years ago there was that first the first restoration <laughs> of that cemetery. <laughs> um, and, uh, somebody was doing this, this little, um, you know, behind the scenes sort of thing. Right. Mm-hmm. It was the, the first of those. I don't even know when it was 10 or 15 years ago. Anyway, I thought, Oh, I better watch the movie again. Cause I hadn't seen it since its opening. Right. Right. And, um, and so I watched it again and, and having that distance, I was like, oh, okay, okay. Uh, Fred is like, he holds that movie together. He's the spine. His character is the spine of that movie. And, and if you watch carefully, man, he is so good. You know, in the beginning, where, um, you know, the, the little girl asks, Where does that path lead? They've just moved in, and, and, and she says, Where does that path go? This path going out into the woods. And there's this shot of Fred and the, the camera slowly, slowly creeps in on him. And he says, oh, that, yeah, that's a, there's a story there. Yeah. Better, better save that for another time. And just that, like, two or three little lines, you just go, ah! you know, your, mm. your, your spine tingles. And yeah. it's the perfect setup. And he delivers it so quietly and so well yeah it's just amazing so he, you know all of these people i i mean i kind of was a solo act quite frankly when we were shooting um you know i had this or that shot with denise this or that shot with dale but mostly i was like isolated i was separate mm. you know uh okay brad we're going to get your shots now and then we'll shoot everybody else and stuff like that um uh and then you know on the set when we had lunch you know, I'm sure you know this, you can't really sit at the lunch table with everybody. Because, you know, I had these brains hanging out on one side of my head and everybody on that side of me would just get it. The first time it happened, we were having spaghetti and I just sat down and one by one they, and one guy said, I'm just, I'm sorry, Brad, I don't mean to be rude, but I can't eat my spaghetti and look at your brain.
0: (laughs) I mean, you're lucky because you were allowed to eat whilst you're in makeup. The ones that I wore, either it was physically impossible or when I was able to open my mouth, they wouldn't let me say, no, no, you'll get grease. It'll destroy all the, the edges of the makeup that you can't, you're not allowed to eat. <laughs> we'll what give you, you water do? through a straw.
1: Yeah. Oh, that's hard because you're in it for a long, long time, right? Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah.
1: Oh, yeah. Uh, yes. yeah. Um, yeah, so I would end up having my lunches in my trailer because I didn't want to, you know, disturb everybody. So, but um, when I wasn't in makeup, Denise and I got along great. We got along great. Uh, and we still do. We live relatively close to each other. We still see each other. We went to see the the new Pet cemetery together, as a matter of fact, the two of us. Uh, that's a story I'll tell you in a little while. But uh, Dale and I... Uh, we were friendly with each other, but we didn't really hit it off so mm-hmm. much he was he was very kind of you know uh protective of himself, and I couldn't get through to him but now we're he lives in Pennsylvania now, but we are like we're great friends when we do these conventions, I mean having everybody together, it's just so much fun. We really have a great time together, even though you know we weren't on the set all together that very that much, you know. Um, we know each other better now than we did then. Yeah. You know? um, uh, and Miko Hughes, who played the little boy, he's you know he does these conventions. And uh, Andrew Hubacek, who played uh, Zelda, you know the deformed um, mm-hmm. sister, uh, he he sometimes comes to these conventions. And when we're all together, it's great. It is so much fun. We mm-hmm. hang out with each other after all the signings after you know 10 hours of being with each other all day then we go out for dinner and have a great time so it's yeah. wonderful it's really really wonderful
0: yes i remember being with denise once at one of the conventions we were just walking along the corridor and it must have been at the beginning of one of the conventions and she just said oh, it's mika nick i'm so sorry but i have to go and talk to mika because <laughs> yeah i completely understand that yeah I mean, that kid was, I mean, he's less than three years old. He was absolutely amazing. Yeah, um, yeah. Was, but, now, I know, I mean, Stephen King was on set occasionally. Did you get yeah. to meet Stephen King?
1: Um, yes, for a brief second, briefer than his appearance in the movie.
0: <laughs> <laughs> like me and David Cronenberg. I get you. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah, I was in my makeup and I was going to my trailer and he came like hustling up to me. And I said, Oh, Mr. King. And he said, Hi, Steve, I'm Steve. Hey, that makeup looks great. That ma- looks great. That's just how I imagined Pascal. Oh, that's great. It's good to see you. Good to meet you. And then he was off, you know. <laughs> like that that fast. And he was like this uh enthusiastic little kid, you know, who yeah. was just, it was his day of shooting, I think, in the um uh, when he was the minister, you know. Right. Yeah. Um it was that that day, cause Part of that day was shooting him. The early part of that day was shooting him and that scene. And then the later part of the day, it was me and Dale in the cemetery where where Dale goes, you know, I can't do this, blah, blah, blah. And I tell him to stop, stop, stop. And he doesn't.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I think one of the things, looking at your career, you've done a lot of TV, you've done a lot of film, you've done a lot of theater. Um, What do you have, okay, out of those three, do you have a favorite film tv or theater
1: uh, that's like you know beer wine or whiskey no i'll <laughs> take all of them i'll take all of them all at the same time <laughs> <laughs> um uh no i i i enjoy all three um they all three have their benefits as you know and they all mm. three have their 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 downsides um mm. uh film is probably my I can't even say it's my favorite, but I really, it's so hard to book a movie these days. You know, Mm -hmm. I think, honestly, I think the movie century is gone. Um, I think it's, you know, we're lurching towards something that's between television and movies. I don't know if movie theaters will survive this pandemic, for example. I don't Mm -hmm. know.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, But I, you know, movies and, and the slower pace of movies, you know, only shooting two or three pages a day. Is great because you can get really, really good shots. I yeah. think it's it can be tedious, but it's it's um, it's enjoyable because you can really get something good. Um, and you tend to work with uh, very experienced actors and stars who are always just wonderful um, people to work with. And uh, there's something about the prestige that's nice. Oh, we're working on a big movie. Or Mm. even, ah, working on a low-budget movie with a shoestring um, uh, crew, which is often just the best, I think, where everybody's Mm. helping with everything, you know. Uh, uh, That's what I like about movies. Um, Television, um, you you work a lot more because there's more television. And Mm. uh, the... Roles are not as good as film, I think. They're not as, they're, they're written in a different style, and it's very fast. Um, uh, well, one, uh, a DP friend of mine who's done films and TV, he said, uh, yeah, TV, TV is the land of good enough. You, you just get your shots for the day. It's good enough. It's good enough. Uh, and film isn't like that. But television offers, you know, the opportunity to, to work a lot more, mm-hmm. you know uh and to sometimes work with really good material and sometimes material that was oh it was rewritten at 3 a.m. this morning and our challenge is to make it a little bit better you know to make the scene come to life even though some poor writer had to do a rewrite you know <laughs> in the middle of the night and they're hoping that we can make it work you know those challenges are nice mm-hmm. and it's fast there's some enjoyment to that too and then theater you get like amazing material generally, uh, that's way deeper than either film or television. Um, and uh, and you get a live audience, which I, I find doing theater, like, indispensable. I do at least one live show a year. Not now, not during the pandemic, mm. but that's generally what I did, I like one or two live shows a year, because I think there's nothing better than getting in front of a live audience and being <sighs> having to perform – Right then and there, you can't go, oh, let's cut and try again. You know, you have to keep going, and you feed off of their energy, and you learn so much being in front of a live audience. So, you know, I like all of them. Uh, Of course, you know, then, uh, you know, theater doesn't pay anything in Los Angeles. Uh, Television pays okay. The residuals are good, and movies pay okay. You know, none of it pays the way it used to, but... um, uh, so anyway, that's that's my assessment. Okay. I'm sure you understand all of that, right? I'm I, sure the president would do entirely. Yeah.
0: <laughs> well, no, I mean it's very. I think it's very interesting. Hopefully, it's interesting for our, uh, our viewers and, and listeners as well, because I think getting that broad perspective those three different ways of looking at the the business and helping people understand exactly what it's like to be a performer because one thing i did want to ask you about was the fact that you for shakespeare's 400th birthday you produced a very successful three-week shakespeare festival in los angeles which comprised of i'm told 64 scenes from as many works with 32 actors and 16 directors yes How did that come about?
1: There were eight of us producers. Eight of us. I mean, I was the, me and my son were the lead. We, we put the scripts together and, and it was our project. And, but we, we got all these other, uh, producers on board because it was such a huge, huge undertaking, you know? Um, yeah, that actually, uh, uh, the year before that, I guess in, uh, 2015. I had gone to, I was in your stomping ground. I was in London okay. with my, um, with my son who was 16 years old at the time. And we did a, a Shakespeare course at, uh, at the Royal Academy. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. He was the youngest in the program that summer and I was the oldest. <laughs> <laughs> oh, excellent. You know, oh this is great because the, you know, a lot of, uh, a lot of what was taught there is quite different from what is taught in the States Mm. as far as Shakespeare goes and how to deal with the language and all of that. Um, So it was like a real eye opener and it's something i had wanted to do for my entire life was go to England and, and train uh, in Shakespeare. Right. So we did that and we came back and we were so inspired. We were like, let's do this, you know, we put up this thing. And so we had, we had three completely different shows. Each one ran for one weekend only, like Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Um, and then the next week, brand new show. The next week, brand new show. Brand new cast, brand new material, right? It was, like, insane. Um, we had we had fights. We had uh, live music on stage. But it was, you know, it was, like, very much – it was, like, okay um, – Uh, It was like, if you were in it, I'd be like, "Okay, Nick, uh, we lost an actor, so we can't do this one scene. Uh, Can you take, you know, that that sonnet, you know, could you like do a jazz riff on it with the musicians? You got 10 minutes to figure it out and then we got to open the doors. So could you do that? And you would go, sure. And you go. (laughs) I mean, we did that, we did that with this this actress, and she just knocked it out of the ballpark, man. And it was so it was like that. Or you know, oh, oh, <clears throat> Nick, uh, uh, somebody's sick. Um, can you can you, what what speeches do you know? Do you know uh, Richard the opening speech? Now is the winter. Okay, you know that. Okay, do that. <laughs> and what we did was we had the the uh, in the in the theater the walls. Um, uh, in the house where the audience was sitting, we just wrote the whole menu of scenes on the walls with chalk, right? So that, not only for the audience, so they could look up and go without having to look into their program, they could go, oh, okay, we're doing a scene from Hamlet now, but also for the cast so that we knew what was next.
0: (laughs) I like that sort of thing. (laughs)
1: But it was great because you know we kept the lights up in the house the whole time, so the audience could see each other. We could see the audience. You know, kind of like how Shakespeare did the Globe, yeah, yeah, in sunlight. Uh, And we were constantly interacting with the audience. You know, taking those speeches right to the audience and really talking to them and going into the audience, up the aisles and crawling over chairs, bringing people down on stage. (laughs) To help out, it was great, and and the audiences loved it. They just loved it. It was a ninety nine seat house, and uh, the first show we had sixty people, and that was our smallest house. by By the second week, we were filling the house every night because word got around, and everybody would see one show and they would go, "Okay, I'm buying tickets for the next two weekends because this was great." So that's wow. what we did.
0: Yeah, wow. Yeah. Wow, congratulations. That sounds extraordinary. That yeah, sounds... We're going to
1: do it again. We're going to do another one. I think after this pandemic it would be a great thing to, you know, just a celebration of life, celebration of Shakespeare, you know. Um, so that's, that's our plan to do another one. I,
0: yes. Yes. I' suddenly remembered of the yes, I suddenly remembered the um, film of Shakespeare in Love. Yes, where the players have just come back because they've had to leave London because of the plague. So they've all gone out on tour. And the only reason they're returning is because the theatres are opening again because the plague has subsided. So what goes around comes around. And that sounds like the perfect way to to celebrate that. (laughs) Now, I know one of the other things, when we were talking earlier on, you mentioned it. You teach as well. You've been teaching for many years. How, Mm -hmm. when... Um, when when did the, all that start and come about? Well, I started
1: actually. I when I was uh, <clears throat> after I'd gone to college, I went to New York. I was in New York, and uh, you know how you you like try out all these different classes until you find a teacher that really resonates with you. So mm. where I landed was with um, with the actor Michael Moriarty. Do you remember Michael Moriarty?
0: Not, don't think I do.
1: He was in, uh, that, that he was, he made his name really doing, um, the, the, uh, miniseries, the Holocaust back in the seventies.
0: Right. Right.
1: He was, uh, he was in, he was in a couple of horror movies, Q, the serpent from outer space or something like that. And troll and (laughs) some of those things. And, uh, he did a number of movies, a lot of plays, um, and he'd won an Emmy and a Tony and he taught in his living room in New York. And it was one of the most extraordinary classes I'd ever been in. It was all breath based. It was like, Oh my God, he has these people. They've never acted before. And in three classes, you com- you're completely absorbed in what they're doing. You know, it's honest, it's truthful. It's like, Holy cow. So I trained with him for like 10 years and near the end of of that whole thing he would you know he had gotten law and order he was on the first um two years of law and order and right. he said well uh I can't be there can you teach tonight okay sure so i, I would t- teach for him uh and then you know then he he shut the whole thing down cuz he was doing law and order and for a few years i didn't teach but then i started teaching i guess it was um after after 911 when there was no work you know here, Anyway, there was just nothing. So I started, a friend of mine was teaching at a, at a little film school. So I started teaching there and I was like very quickly the most popular uh, teacher there. And, uh, and I would teach other places, you know, here and there, I went to Idaho, went to Virginia, went to other places, uh, places here in, in LA. And then finally, I just opened my own little deal And, um, eventually then I, I got my own studio, which I have in Santa Monica right now. Uh, this little ramshackle building that was built in the twenties and, um, and is, you know, if you blow too hard, it's going to fall over, but it's, (laughs) it's really nice. And I, I teach, uh, on camera acting, how to, you know, how to deal with the camera, the mics. Um, but also, I mean, you're going to understand this, that, that different sensibility that the camera has from a a stage audience, you know, that, that seduction mm. and, and like understanding what you as an actor do best and always doing that rather than, you know, these theater actors trying to be everything and do everything I can do that. I can, I, nobody cares if you can do it. What are you, what are you and how do you, how can you make a career out of that? Cause you know, I made a career out of playing bad guys really uh, except for Victor Pascal and Pet Cemetery, mostly I was playing rapists and murderers and you know all these horrible people. Until lately, uh, so how do you how do you have what you've already got, what you are as a person? What do you have to offer this industry? And then how do you make it translate onto the camera? That's what I do. So my my classes have been very popular. A lot of my students have are now professional actors. You know they're working lots, like more than me which is a little disconcerting. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's
1: the uh, but it's thing. great. It's a great thing because, you know, I don't, I, have you ever taught, have you ever taught acting?
0: Oh gosh. Only decades and decades and decades. When I, when I left drama school, I taught, we kids, teenagers, young teenagers.
1: Yeah. yeah. You know, uh, the thing, the great thing about teaching is you, the one that learns the most is the teacher, you know? I was
0: wanted to ask you, you know, what are the, some of the, can you think of a valuable lesson you learned from your students?
1: Uh, yes. Something that I, I did not realize or I kind of realized, but never could pinpoint. Um, effort, no effort, no, never push, never put any effort into your performance on camera. Never, never push for the tear, never push for the laugh because the camera, you know, the camera can overlook a lot of awful things. <laughs> Sometimes the camera can look, o- overlook really bad acting. I know from personal experience. <laughs> uh, true. Uh, but what it, then other things it like really amplifies. And I think the thing it amplifies the most is effort. Trying too hard, ah. reaching to the camera, you, you know. Um, it, it it it's very unforgiving with effort, mm. and so mm. so. Mm. You know, I think it's a it's a matter of getting the storm going inside, and trusting that the camera will come to you, and you seduce the camera in, and you can't. You know, when you're when you're out on a date. It doesn't work to put effort into a date if you're trying to, you know, if you really like fall for somebody and you want them to fall for you, if you're trying too hard, it's such a turnoff and it's the same thing, you know, but it's hard. It's still hard to not try hard, you know, to not act because we want to act. We're actors. That's probably the biggest thing I've learned from teaching.
0: Right, right, right. Right. Wow. And I have
1: to relearn it all the time. I have to constantly, you know, I like, because now we do self tapes for auditions and I look at it and go, man, stop trying so hard. You've been doing this a long time. You don't need to try, man. Just sit there, say the lines. Don't worry about anything else.
0: Even, you know what I mean? I completely know what you mean. Honestly, when I have to do the introductions or the weekly, when I'm doing the adverts for the show and so on, I keep on having to go dial it back just just say the lines, Nick. Don't. You don't have to do that all the time. Just say the lines, just be yourself, which of course, I think is what we're saying is, is the most terrifying thing in the world, as you say, because on stage, they're a long way away from you. They're usually around about 10 feet away from you at least. And if you're standing on stage, most of the time you can't see them because you've got lights in your eyes and you're actually really just acting to this black void unless you do yeah. something, as you say, where the lights are up. But the camera is, you it, it can see the pores in your skin, you yeah. know, and yeah. completely in us. It's, yeah. it's hard.
1: It's still hard. Yeah. It's still yeah, hard. Yeah. Like you say, it's still, it's, the, it's trust. It's faith. It's having faith. in in the camera and in yourself, you know, that you're fine. But I also think that, I think that, um, you know, Meisner said this and John Gielgud said this as well, that it takes 20 years to become an actor, 20 years. And I, when I was, you know, younger, I thought, ah, what is that? That's just, you know, that's kooky. No, you can work, but I noticed that at 20 years, around 20 years of having performed, something dropped in me. Something inside uh, gave up, actually. It was more like, I don't know how to do this. This is, you know, this career, this this craft. I don't know what I do, I'm doing. I've been working at this so long, and I don't know. And I give up. I give up. And then this magic happens, you know? You stop trying and go, oh, that was good. That's what I've been trying to do all these years. That, what did I do? I did nothing. I just listened and I, right, right. So so that's, now that's, you know, still the constant uh, challenge, but it's the thing, the biggest thing I've learned from teaching is Mm. stop trying. You're enough. Just let it be and, you know, understand what you're doing, but just understanding it is enough you don't have to do like you have to on stage you have to do yeah, on stage
0: yeah yeah you can you know? yes yeah literally you can do nothing and it will just come to you yeah
1: and if you do that on stage you will put the audience to sleep yes, yes. they'll be like
0: what the, what the hell is this <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah but yes uh, this is extraordinary. We're almost out of time. Oh my
1: God, I've been talking too much. I'm sorry.
0: <laughs> no, not in the slightest.
1: The no, the pandemic. Been... <laughs> I haven't talked to anybody in almost a year. So <laughs> sorry, Nick, that you're you're the recipient.
0: <laughs> I'm very grateful. <laughs> Trust me. What I'd like to end with is by uh, the luggage in the crypt. So oh the, yes. Yes. yeah, yes, yes. So the idea is that basically, you know, you're you're making a decision for your last great adventure, as Peter Pan had it. <laughs> what uh, what uh, what film would you take with you?
1: Yeah, um, I think I think there's there's like you know there's probably about 10 films I would like to take, but if I had to choose one, I do think it would be Charlie Chaplin's The Gold Rush. Ah, I think so. He's so funny. If you can get over that the myth of Chaplin. Just seeing him and and that cast, that amazing cast he has doing these silly things. I always laugh. I always, always laugh. So I think if it's my last choice, I want something that makes me laugh. And I yeah. think we, I mean, I've seen the gold rush probably in my lifetime, probably 20, 25 times. Um, it's still great. It's still great.
0: It and you, you're saying the Gold Rush, and if I've remembered this correctly, this is this includes the sequence where he gets the forks and the dinner rolls. Yeah. And he yeah. starts making them.
1: Yes. Which he actually lifted from Fatty Arbuckle. There's, there's a film of Fatty Arbuckle doing that like 15 years earlier with the, the dancing rolls, you know. But um, Chaplin does it so well. And eating his shoe and his cabin being like on the – precipice of falling into a, a canyon. <laughs> it's just great. It's just right, great. Right,
0: right. What about a book?
1: A book uh would probably be oh there's so many great books. Um it would probably be uh, Dostoevsky's The Brothers Karamazov. I think so. It's an amazing, amazing book. Because he asks why. He's always asking why, you know why i did i actually adapted part of that novel into a one-person show and it was the whole section around the grand inquisitor you know where one of the brothers is talking to another brother and then he says "Oh, i wrote the story about the grand inquisitor which is the you know the inquisitor coming uh, christ coming back to earth and the inquisitor arrests him and says we're not on your side we're with the other guy it's the only way to control people i did this as a one person show 12,000 words 2 hours Ooh. and one night i actually went up on my lines i couldn't i had no idea where i was in act 1 or act 2 or where
0: <laughs> <laughs> i i did a one man show last year that was only an hour and i was just telling my story so i had felt you know i could always improvise no you know Bug in yeah, another story, but yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Man, yeah.
1: Deep- so I would take that, and that would give me plenty of reading till the end of my days, because it's like 800 pages.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what about um, an album?
1: Oh, yes, uh, yeah, an album. I was thinking about this. I was, like, going through, okay, is it Beatles, is it Rolling Stones, is it Ella Fitzgerald, uh, is it Louis Armstrong, is it... Uh, uh, you know, I went through all, and you know where I landed on, quite frankly, is uh, Hilary Hahn, violinist, playing box concerto for two violins in D minor. The most beautiful music ever written, and she plays it with such, such vivacity and such, ah, uh, it's just great. That's what I would take.
0: Okay. Okay, I'll check that one out. It's not one I'm familiar with, so oh I,
1: man, I saw her. I saw her perform it live. Oh, I thought I was gonna die. It was so great. so it's just so, you know, I don't know how to say it. I should know how to say it, but it's it's, great. it's
0: music. It's very difficult to communicate music,
1: yeah, in, yeah,
0: in in words without actually just going out and listening to it. I will go out yeah. and listen to that. What okay. about a food or drink a a beverage or some sort? So,
1: yeah, um, I think that would have to be a, a bottle of wine, a very big bottle of red wine, very, very, maybe a vat of red wine. One
0: <laughs> <What, what laughs> of those huge, great yeah, yeah, wooden yeah, yeah. barrels. We, we understand
1: each other, yes. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Just so you can lie on the floor and open the tap. Yeah, yeah, yeah. got that. A piece, a piece of visual art.
1: Oh oh you, yeah, you know that would be um, I think that would be van Gogh's painting of the 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 field with the crows,
0: I know the one, yeah, coming yeah. up out of it
1: when i when I first moved to New York, my second job, my first job I was fired from my second job it was at a movie theater, that's a whole right. other story uh for part two of this, right, right. um my second job was working at the Metropolitan Museum of Art in the, uh, in the dungeon where we would get all the books and the posters and things and bring them up to the bookstores and all of that. And uh, during that year that I did that, there was a, a Van Gogh exhibit. And so I got to wander around in the, the museum, Metropolitan Museum of Art in New York, when nobody was there. And I could get close to these paintings. And those Van Gogh paintings, I remember one time I came around the corner, and I think it was this, this painting of the crows. And I looked at it, and I was like, Boof! the energy, just like, it was like a supernatural experience. It just went, Boof! and I was stunned, and tears came to my eyes, and I could not move. Wow eventually i did move otherwise i wouldn't be here <laughs> 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 but it was such a oh, i've never been struck by a, a a canvas in that way before and part of it i think was because the museum was empty there was nobody there no no you know there were workers there but it was either before hours or after hours so there were no no visitors you know and i was there alone and it just it just oh. Yes. Anyway, that's that's the one I would take. that. Right.
0: One. Right. Right. Or a right, print right. of
1: it, maybe. Uh, if I'm on my last days, I don't want them to uh, entrust me with the original.
0: you <laughs> <laughs> we'll leave the most amazing replica. You know, it'll 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 be. <laughs> A pigment perfect um uh, re- replication of 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 that piece of piece of art
1: i'm going to hold you to it oh yeah absolutely absolutely
0: and finally what about a luxury
1: a luxury well i think that would have to be um a, a nice glass to put the wine in <laughs> You know, one that just really feels good in the hand.
0: Right? Right. Yes, yeah, yeah, yes. Yeah. So yeah. Is-
1: one where you feel like, oh, this is going to be much better if I drain it. <sighs> oh, yeah, the glass is much better now that I've drained it. Oh, look, <laughs> it's full again. Oh, okay. Drain it again.
0: You, you suddenly <laughs> reminding me of the bishop's wife and the uh, and the, the glass of sherry that constantly refills itself. <laughs> yes, yes, absolutely. Um. <laughs> Brad this has been so much fun thank you so very much yes. indeed. yes it's my
1: pleasure i hope we can meet in person someday yes uh, we'll make that a thing okay yes as soon as it's safe um i'll yes. get to london i would love to come to london and just see plays you know and uh see wait see play see theater and nick that will be the name of the trip okay see theater and nick um <laughs>
0: That is a day. That is a promise. I I love I love going to theater with my American friends when we come. Over. That's a great excuse Okay, know. yeah, yeah,
1: great. Do the
0: Globe or do the what's The, the
1: Globe. Oh my god. It's it's those are some of the best shows I've ever seen. Holy yeah. cow. Oh, yeah. oh man. And, but the theater, you know, the theater in London in your city is just all of it is just knockout, yeah. man. Yeah. It's great. So, okay, when the pandemic's over, I'm going to knock on your door. I'll give you a little warning, like five minutes. Okay. (laughs) Not five. Where are you?
0: (laughs) All right, then, sir. Thank you very much indeed. And Between now and then, please stay safe and well.
1: Yes, you too, Nick. Take care.
0: Bye. Bye. Thank you again to Brad Greenquist. What a gentleman. And next week on The Chattering Hour, I'm joined by Daniel Roebuck, who appeared in The Fugitive, U.S. Marshals' Final Destination. Quite a few Rob Zombie movies and on TV in Nash Bridges, Matlock and many, many more. Join me for an extended edition with lots of amazing stories. And in the meantime, stay safe and well. The Chattering Hour, hosted by Nicholas Vince, is produced by Chris Rowe Management and Tea Time Productions. Producer Chris Rowe, with production support from Jared Friedrich and Amanda Rome-West. Composer Kevin McLeod. copyright Tea Time Productions.